0: There are millions of people in the world who talk to God as their father every day and who claim he directly moves in their lives in many different ways. What about your God? Does he act in your life? Is he really there? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to demonstrating that the biblical God is there and he does act powerfully in the world. What do you do when you're a pre-med major and you flunk your first math class in college? Can God help you out? Let's listen as our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, shares his experience as a freshman at Houghton College. I flunked my very first math test in college. And I was going to be a pre-med major, and man, I had to get that math class done. And I went back and I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I had terrible math in high school and you're going to have to help me because I don't understand this stuff at all. And man, at the end of the semester, my prof called me in after I took my final exam and I just about had a heart attack because I thought I'd flunked again. And old Dr. Roski with his brown suit covered with chalk, sitting at his desk, looked over the desk at me and he said, Wurtson, what in the world did you do? When you took that first test, I thought that it was totally hopeless. And he said, I just wanted to call you in here. I want to find out what in the world did you do because you aced this final exam. And you've got an A in this quarter. In fact, what I want to do, I want to find out what you did with that terrible, lousy math background from high school. How in the world did you ever got this far in my class? Because I want you to tutor some students next semester. I looked at him and said, Dr. Rose, I hate to tell you this. What I did, I studied really hard. But the most important thing I did, I said, I said, Lord, I got down my knees and said, Lord, if you need to help me... You're the one that needs to invade my math universe... ...and you need to help me to understand this stuff. And Dr. Roski laughed and said... ...well, man, that will be an interesting tutoring session... ...that you have with the students the next semester. The book of Revelation is about a God... ...that doesn't stay compartmentalized. He's a God that invades our physical universe. And this is the God that made heaven and earth. You see, the fact that he made heaven and earth in the beginning helps us to understand that in the end, he's going to invade heaven and earth again. And we're not just at the whim of some meteor coming by chance and knocking the lights out of planet earth. Instead, this book is telling us how there's a loving personal king who's ethical, who's righteous, who's holy, who's loving, who's compassionate, who's at the control of writing history. That's what the great revelation, the book of Revelation is. And this angel is swearing by one who has the power because he created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. And the sea and all that's in them. So if you're studying the oceans, you're studying the work of your daddy in heaven. If you're studying the animal kingdom, you're studying the work of your precious father in heaven. And you can also look forward to an eternity with him maybe creating untold, incredible, unimaginable things for us to wonder at and to enjoy forever and ever. That's the kind of hope that there is when you believe the book of Revelation. It says there will be no more delay. This oath that the angel's making, that was very significant. He says, there will be no more delay. Verse 6. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Now, whenever you read in a book, if someone has announced something to his servants the prophets, then we should be able to figure out in the past where he said that. There's one chapter, if you turn back to Daniel chapter 2, where this word mystery, notice how he said, where the mystery of God will be accomplished. There's one passage in the Old Testament where the idea of mystery is very preeminent. And it's in one of the prophetic books. Turn back to Daniel chapter 2. In fact, Daniel chapter 2 is the bedrock of prophecy. If you want to understand prophecy, this is like the outline, the map, a prophecy In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in this dream, in this dream, God lays out for this Babylonian king living about 600 years before Christ came, the outline of the history of the Gentile nations, the world kingdoms of planet earth. Now look down at verse 17 in Daniel chapter 2. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Notice Daniel believed in the same God that John the Apostle believed in Revelation. Concerning this, what's the next word? Mystery. So that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the, tell me, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Now, when Daniel goes in before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, notice how he responds. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 27. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. For there is a God in heaven who reveals... Mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Interesting, that little phrase, he will show Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come, is part of the outline of the book of Revelation. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus revealed to John, we're going to show you the things which you have seen, the vision of the exalted Christ in chapter 1. We're going to show you the things which are, Revelation 2 and 3, the churches and what will happen during the church age. And then he says, then I'm going to show you the things which will be after these things. Exactly the same terminology is used in the Greek translation of Daniel. The exact statement. The mystery of Daniel chapter 2 is the mystery that all of us would like the answer to. How's history going to end up? Who's going to be king of the mountain when it's all over? How many world empires are there going to be? Who's going to dominate planet Earth? And then who's going to win in the end? And that's what Daniel's image is about. Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel 2 tells us that there is going to be the head of gold, which is Babylon. Babylon will be taken over by the next part of the image, which is made out of silver, which is the Persian Empire. Then you move down into the brass part of the the idol, which is the Greek Empire. Then you have the legs of iron. You have the iron legions of Rome. And then you go to the feet, which are mixed, part iron, part clay. And that's the final manifestation of the Western nations as they dominate the world, which has been true ever since the time of the Roman Empire. You live in a world that's dominated by Western nations, exactly what God predicted to Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel went on and said that there was going to be a final manifestation. And from those great Western powers, there would arise the ultimate manifestation of evil. And in those days, in those days, the king of heaven, the son of man would come. As Daniel described in Daniel 2, the stone cut out without hands that comes and smashes this incredible idol that men have put up. This power structure, the the belief that man can control his destiny on planet Earth. In Daniel chapter 12, turn to Daniel chapter 12, because it's interesting, we have another angel that's doing exactly what the angel does in Revelation chapter 10. He's doing it in Daniel chapter 12. In Daniel chapter 12, we have... Michael revealed, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects his people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nation until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Notice that Michael's revealing that there's going to be to Daniel that there's going to be a great revelation. A great resurrection. So Daniel's not going to end just in dust, but he's going to be resurrection. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now if you look at verse 7, The man clothed in linen who was above the river lifted his right hand. Where have we seen that? Revelation 10. He lifted his right hand and his left hand towards the heaven. So he lifts both hands. I heard him swear by him who lives forever and ever. It will be for a time, times and a half a time. When the power of the holy people have been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So my Lord, I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, many spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. For the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for the, and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. What is this angel saying? The angel's picturing an ultimate time, A three and a half period that's going to culminate in some kind of a great cataclysmic climax. And Daniel doesn't tell us what that great climax will be and the details of that. Well, Revelation 10 through the end of the book is going to open up that sealed book because notice that this angel has an open book, not a sealed book. And what you have is Daniel... The sealed book of Daniel 10 and Daniel 12. And what was not colored in with the end time of Daniel chapter 2 is now given to us in the rest of the book of Revelation. This angel is picking up the story where Gabriel left off in Daniel chapter 12. He says in verse at the end of verse 6, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound, the mystery of God will be accomplished. What's the mystery of God in the book of Revelation? It's who's going to rule on planet Earth. What's going to be the final course? What will be the final climax during that final three and a half year period, during the tribulation period? And Revelation is going to answer that question for us. It's the mystery of God just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And we've shown you how he announced it to Daniel. Now look at verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn to your stomach sweet, sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. But when I had eaten it, it became bitter. My stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. What in the world is Revelation picturing here? Well, if you know the Old Testament, you'll understand that this is exactly the commissioning of an Old Testament prophet. If you open up to the beginning chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 2, you'll read about the same picture. Ezekiel is given a book. And the angels of God tell him to eat the book, and it will be sweet in his mouth, but it will turn to bitter in his stomach. In the book of Ezekiel, what does it mean? It means that there's tremendous sweetness in the fact that God has revealed his word to us. There's a great sweetness in knowing how things will turn out. It's a great sweetness in being able to read in the book of Revelation, and God will wipe every tear away from our eyes. There's a great sweetness in being able to read that evil's not going to win. That forces of materialism and might and power. That there's not going to be an elite who will eliminate those that are second rate. The logical flow from what I read to you from Time Magazine. If natural selection has been the great God that brought us to culmination. If it's brought us to this complexity of life. Then it's harder to announce that it is now turned off. The logical outcome of what they're writing in the article is we should not give good medical help to people that are inferior. We shouldn't give medical help to people that are behind. We shouldn't give education to those that don't have the benefits of, of really high IQs. In other words, if you follow the logical of that, logic of that article, then you've got an elite saying, let us control things. And let's get things moving ahead. Let's kickstart it. Unless you think that that's totally unheard of, that's exactly what Hitler did in World War II. Exactly. And that's exactly the way that he argued. What led him to be able to captivate a people like that? Because they denied. There wasn't any creator anymore. Man was the creator. Man was the designer. Man was the engineer. Man was the scientist that stood in his lab and decided everything. The book of Revelation is giving us a totally different challenge. We have to decide where we're going to get down on our knees before. The book of Revelation says that his word when we eat it is sweet to us. Because when you've received the word of God and you learn about the mercies of God, you learn about the love of God, you learn about all the good things that God has done for you. This book is going to close with a beautiful city, the new heaven and new earth. It's going to close with an incredible eternity of all those that have come and worshiped the Lamb of God. And they're going to enjoy him forever. That's sweet. But you know what? It's also bitter when you realize Ezekiel had to prophesy to a people in Babylon that didn't listen to him. You see, what made it bitter? The Lord told Ezekiel that he was going to make him as hard as a stone. Using modern terminology, which says, Ezekiel, I'm going to make you like steel. Because I'm going to send you to the children of Israel, and you're going to tell them about the fall of Jerusalem. You're going to tell them about the exile. You're going to ultimately tell them about a return. You're going to ultimately tell them about a great apocalyptic end of time where I will rule and reign. But most of them, the vast majority of them, aren't going to listen to you at all. They're going to be hard as stone. And God says, I'm going to make you just as hard as telling the truth to them. And John, the apostle in the book of Revelation, is getting exactly the same treatment from God. See, what's the bitterness of teaching God's word? The hardest thing about teaching God's word is that it's so sweet. You know what? If you'll obey ...and build your life in the Word of God... ...like years and years and years ago. Mary and I came here. I was studying at Dallas Theological Seminary... ...the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs says... In Proverbs chapter 1... ...in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In Proverbs 8, it says that... ...wisdom is intrinsic to God's universe. And we taught you way back then... ...if you make the reverence of God... ...worshiping, worshiping Him... ...as your Creator and Lord... If you make him the center of your family life, if you make an intimate relationship with Jesus, trusting in the cross, trusting in the resurrection, if you make Jesus the center of your life, just like he's the center of the gospel records, then it'll work. It's what God wants you to do. It's really a good thing. It'll be sweet. You know what the tragedy is? Some people don't listen at all. Some people harden themselves. I have really good friends that I see almost every day of the week, and for a while they really believed the sweet message, and for a while they really built their family upon it. But then somehow, some way, they started to build upon just material things. They began to say that what life consists in is buildings and trucks and cars and houses and clothes. And that's what it's going to be about. And trying to get the best of that stuff that I can to my kids. And that's what we're going to enjoy. And then you watch the outflow of what that generates. And that's when it gets bitter. It gets bitter when somebody comes in and says, What does the Word of God say about so-and-so and so-and-so? So you share sure, This is what the Word of God says about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And someone says, Well, I don't really want to do that. That's when it becomes bitter. Because when we willingly know what the Word of God says, we know what God's Word teaches. And we disobey it. It produces bitterness. And I want you to know it produces not only bitterness for you, not only for the person that sins, it produces not only bitterness for me when I sin, but it spills that bitter acid, pours forth on everybody around us because we're all so connected. What the prophetic commissioning is telling us is, is that the revelation of God is sweet to those who believe it. It's sweet to those who obey it. It becomes life-giving refreshment to those that follow it. But it becomes very bitter to those that turn away from it, to those that don't accept it. And it also becomes bitter for those that have to teach it. Because we love you. And we hate to see you do what produces negative results and negative realities in your family. The final thing I want you to see about John taking this word and eating it is we have to do that. What have we heard? You've now studied Revelation chapter 10. You've studied Revelation chapter 10. You've learned there is a great creator. He created heaven and earth. You'll learn that it's not just a couple chapters in Genesis that tell us that he's the creator. We can debate about how long the days are and we can debate about how exactly God did it. But one thing as a group of believers, there should be no debate about whether or not we're supernaturalists or not. We are committed supernaturalists with a great creator who loves to invade planet Earth. That's really important. We've studied that today. We've also studied the fact that this great creator not only created the Earth, but he's intricately involved in moving history towards its great culmination. Daniel 2 is going to be fulfilled. Revelation 10 through the end of the book is going to color in those details and it tells us how we all end up. Now we have to decide whether we're going to eat it and let it become part of our life. You see, you can't just hear the word. You've got to devour the word. You can't just let it tickle your ear. You've got to take it and you've got to chew on it. You've got to let it get inside of you and just like your physical food, it's a really powerful imagery. You see, when you eat your food, you chop on it, you chew on it, and you swallow it. Then it becomes part of your very being as it goes out into the cells of your body. That's what needs to happen Sunday morning and in your own personal quiet time as you feed upon this book. Your heavenly daddy says, I want you to take this book and I want you to eat it. Not literally. But I want you to take these words and I want you to chew on them. I want you to... Think about them. I want you to think hard about how it relates to your life. And then I want it to become part of your very being as you go out into the world. Who do you think is going to find out who's living in the land of us? You know, I think we might find out that there's some precious down-home folks up in Kansas that didn't have their brains scrambled after all in the end. Don't believe the caricature of fundamentalists that are trying to hold back the tremendous flow of science. Right now, the tables have been turned completely. There's a very powerful juggernaut that's saying, unless you eliminate God from the scientific discussion, it's not science. And that's not going to work. That's not a scientific statement. That's a philosophical statement. And it's hell on wheel's for what the Bible really says in the book of Revelation. Because our God not only created this present universe, not only created this natural world, but he loves to invade in it. He's constantly involved in it. And one day he's going to guide it to the end that he decreed in his word. And I want to submit to him and obey him in honoring him as the great exalted king. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, as we we talk about the reality of your creation... As we go out into school this week, we're going to come face to face with those who do eliminate the supernatural, or they might put a supernatural being in there, but it's not the God of the Bible. I pray that we'll understand where they're coming from, that you'll use today's message to help us to think through that worldview. But Lord, most of all, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would drive us to our needs. What a wonder. To think that all the intricacies that students will be studying in chemistry and biology and physics and in astronomy. Lord, what a wonder to know that when we study the textbook of science, that we're studying and tracing the work of our precious Father in heaven. I pray that that would motivate us to be better scientists and to be more committed to truth and to be very careful about the abuse of power. Lord, what we've talked about today are things that really enter in to where we're going to live in the marketplace. i ask you, Lord, that we might take on as the image of how we really respond to the word of truth, that we would graphically burn into our minds this imagery of, of taking this 10th chapter of the book of Revelation and putting it in our mouth and actually chewing it and, and swallowing it and having it become part of our very being. I'd ask you, Lord, that the truth that we've learned from your Holy Word today would truly enter the deepest part of our personalities, that it would be lived out in the marketplace of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.